they just need they need some policy to continue to implement and enforce besides just the uh, vaccines and, and tests uh, mm. as a way of, of, of saying, well, we have to keep this emergency going. So this is a serious problem because uh, the vaccines, which are increasingly in distribute, uh, obviously, you know, the bivalent mm. uh, vaccine was never tested, should never have been approved, doesn't work. It works in, in 0.0003% of the time for a month or something ridiculous like that. Mm. Uh, but there's huge industrial interests invested in in its in its production and distribution so the big big media big tech are funding uh, major aspects of the u.s regulatory state so it's it's all just a power play i'm sorry that there's so many victims as a result of that Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature, and I'm your host, Barry Bussey. I encourage you to like, comment, and subscribe on our podcast. With us today, we have a special guest, Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey is the president of Brownstone Institute, and Jeffrey, it's great to have you on our program again. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. You said it's been a year. And, and how much has changed? You know, a lot has changed, but, but at the same time, not enough. <laughs> so, um, uh, we the uh, you're particularly focused on the U.S.-Canada relations. The Brownstone Institute has a fellow, Julie Ponesi, um, from Canada, who's not allowed to come to our retreat. We have coming up in a couple weeks for Brownstone Fellows uh, because she's unwilling to uh, comply with the demand that she fork over her vaccine status before she crosses the border. That is an entirely a U.S. thing. Um, it's mostly mm -hmm. enforced uh, by the uh, ticket issuers themselves, not uh, Border Patrol, not TSA, not State Department. It's entirely enforced by the airlines. The U U.S. government outsourced its enforcement of that thing to the airlines themselves, which is why a lot of people can cross the border with a car. Uh, but mm. but that even they have you know mixed results. Um, uh, I, uh, let me just say that as an American. Uh, this is uh, deeply embarrassing to me that this persists, mm. and I, I find it to be one of the greatest outrages uh, right now. And uh, it's not as if American people care anything about this subject at all. They don't, which is mm. good and bad. Nobody's clamoring to keep the unvaccinated out. At the same time, uh, there's not enough people upset that you know, about the, the problem of foreigners. The other problem is, uh, f from a litigation point of view, it's hard to find uh, plaintiffs in the case because uh, in, in normal court court cases, you have to have plaintiffs that are American citizens, right? So, mm -hmm. um, uh, so you can't be a plaintiff in a U.S. court case against federal government if you're a foreign national. So, um, so Brownstone is considering entering into litigation on the on the subject. Uh, oh. The reason the reason is continuing it has nothing to do with public health. It's it's all because uh, the U.S. government wants to continue its uh, emergency, de the declaration of emergency, which was, again, continued January 11th of this year. Uh, mm. The reason for that continued emergency is just simply that um, the vaccines and the tests uh, for, that, for the disease for which the vaccine allegedly is created 
um, themselves exist under the emergency use authorization. So if, if the emergency uh, goes away, uh, so too all those uh, th those products get pulled off the market. So uh, the problem for the U.S. government is trying to find other, uh, in addition to the vaccines and, and COVID tests, they have to have other things that they're doing that are justified according to the emergency. So that's why they're continuing the travel restrictions. Oh, my. I mean, uh, and I've also heard some people talk about the idea, at least some speculation on this side of the border, is that uh, the Canadian government decided to allow the unvaccinated Americans across Canada without negotiating with the U.S. And so there's almost kind of like, well, if you're not going to deal with us um, or let us know, then there was a, a sense of, well, maybe there's some politics involved. And those have been some of the uh, conjectures up here just trying to make sense of so thank you for that uh explanation that's uh, yeah but they just need they need some policy to continue to implement and enforce besides just the uh, vaccines and, and tests uh, mm. as a way of, of, of saying well we have to keep this emergency going so this is a serious problem oh yeah oh my uh, be, because uh, the the um, the, the vaccines, which are increasingly in dispute, uh, obviously, you know, the bivalent mm -hmm. uh, vaccine was never tested, should never have been approved, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> it works in, in 0.0003% of the time for a month or something ridiculous like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's huge industrial interests in, invested in, in, its, in its production and distribution. So... Uh, so and and those same industrial interests are the ones that are paying, you know, for the, the the big big media and big tech, and uh, are funding uh, major aspects of the U.S. regulatory state. So it's it's all just a power play. I'm sorry that there's so many victims as a result of that. Yeah, and with this power play, we I had a a lawyer on our program just a week or so ago and we we talked about the idea of the you know we're being ruled by the faceless bureaucrat uh, the administrative state is becoming uh, more and more oppressive and, and that seems to be what we're up against here but also we've got the industrial side which is making policy for government mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's hard to tell which is the hand and which is the glove i mean mm -hmm. it it really is a kind of a a back and forth uh, mixture between between the two. I mean, the people who want to say that, you know, on the left, the traditional view has always been that the corporate private sector is the, is the great source of evil in the world. And then on the right, or at least on the libertarian right, it's always mm -hmm. been that the government's the great source of evil. Well, what happens when you have the two just working so closely together with, with backdoors in both directions? Uh, you know, I think of a guy like Scott Gottlieb, who's on the board of Pfizer, who was the previous FDA commissioner. Um, when lockdowns came, he exercised the major influence in pushing the Trump administration to lockdown, even though he, at the time, he was just merely working for a think tank in Washington, D.C. So that's mm. that's the kind of person we're, we're dealing with. It's, it's quasi-private, quasi-public, but really we're talking about just a kind of a very powerful uh, revolving door of ruling class elites on in both the public and private sector and in, in the nonprofit sector. Now, over the last week, we've also seen the release of a video that Project Veritas had uncovered in a discussion with a Pfizer executive 
Jordan Walker, I understand, that there was some uh, called the directed evolution, but would say, well, that's gain of function. And there's that issue, but there's also the government regulators end up finding themselves in the private sector, big business like pharma, and uh, they're, they're going to go easy on the, in the regulatory process. What's your thought on, on what's been revealed there? Um, well, the revelation itself wasn't so much a revelation to me. I mean, I think it's been long known that these people with, if you're going to, if you're going to vaccinate against a, a quickly mutating virus, this has been true with the flu, for example, mm. uh, and you're going to pretend as if you have a vaccine that mutates very quickly, you have to get ahead of mutations if you're going to create a vaccine for it. I mean, you can't wait until the mutations already spread everywhere. Uh, because by the time you uh, can sequence the the new mutation, create a vaccine for it, that'll be gone, and a new one will come along. So of course they have to get out and head the mutations, and that involves this, as they say, directed evolution, uh, gain of function, you know, whatever. Um, and so these companies have long done this. I mean, it's just part. But that's also it's just sort of inevitable when you're tr- creating products that probably shouldn't exist. You know, mm. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it just so we're clear about this. I mean, it's possible to vaccinate against really stable um, pathogens, like like the one that uh, creates uh, measles or smallpox, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, rubella. The, the, these are stable pathogens; they're not non mutating. But uh, there's plenty of other pathogens, trillions of them, uh, that surround us, um, that are in us and surround us. Uh, against which you cannot vaccinate. And the mm-hmm. I- idea of vaccination is to give you a small dose uh, of um, the live or dead virus so your body can start creating an immune response so that way you can be protected against the, the really bad disease that's, with which it's been associated. And, the, and vaccines have been, have been used in this way for hundreds of years. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's, there's natural limits to the idea of, of, of vaccination. So you, you, your, your immune system ultimately needs to adapt to the pathogens that are around us. And we co-evolved with, with, with these pathogens. That's just the way it goes. And, and, and all you can really do is, is rely on therapeutics. So, you know, mm-hmm. you get yourself better, you know, aspirin and prednisone and, you know, whatever, ivermectin, whatever the thing is, to, to get through the disease and then, but then you're stronger as a result. I mean, that's sort of the way it's always been. Um, so when, when they started talking about vaccinating for this coronavirus, I knew, I knew for sure, like without, as I say before experience, a priori, uh, that mm-hmm. it was not going to be a sterilizing vaccine, that it would, uh, that it would, uh, uh, to the extent it's useful at all, it would only be useful for the wild type then they would have to adapt it for the next very uh, mutation and, and adapt it again. But then if you keep vaccinating for the same stupid uh, mutating pathogen, you're going to create what's called original antigenic sin. I mean, you're going to, you're going to rewire or immune, uh, uh, what's it called? Like a sticky immune response. Your, your immune system is going to be mm-hmm. trained to resist only one thing, and then it's going to be disabled for everything else. That's why we've seen so many cases of mm-hmm. of of all these other uh, diseases going around be- because the immune systems have have been disabled to and so we're sicker than ever as a result but the, yeah. again i'm not saying anything new like virologists yeah. and and immunologists and epidemiologists have known this about this problem for many decades There's, i'm not saying anything that's unusual so this was entirely mm-hmm. uh, the vaccine should never have 
gone out of production and never been distributed to anyone. And so I, I guess the, 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 the real struggle has been, like, why on earth have we gone through this last uh, year plus of these vaccines being pushed on people and then the unvaccinated being unable to uh, be able to live their life? And I mean, still, we've got that residue, as we, as we just talked about here in Canada, the unvaccinated not able to go to the U.S. Like, I mean, like, how is it? As a society, we've, we've come to this. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. It is mind-boggling. And we just saw yesterday, I don't know if you noticed, that uh, this Djokovic just won uh, the Australian Open, which is just great. Yes, he's, he's I did. And, and so, and Bill Gates was in the audience, which is just hilarious, right? So God bless that. God bless that brave man. You know, he put uh, his principle yeah. of body, bodily autonomy ahead of uh, even his his career so you know he did the right thing as a as an upstanding world example really to the world um yeah yeah i don't know how else to explain it except to refer to industrial power i mean it, it's just the power of the vaccine uh, big farm has just grown so large that they own the, the every government in the world and then they bought off all media and bought off big tech and now they're trying to force these products on us. And and many people are looking at mRNA technology. Many of these uh, big shots are looking at mRNA mm -hmm. technology, sort of a platform technology that um, uh, to rewire the genetic code, human genetic genetic code, so that we can you know basically tr tr treat our bodies like uh, like firmware and the virus is software, mm -hmm. and we download the updates you know as they come along. It's it's yeah. it's some it's some mad science going on, but it's very real. And it's very serious. Uh, they f they completely flopped this time around. But you notice that they don't admit it. Um, they just talk about no, it like it. Yes. A, a, a worthy experiment, and we'll we'll do better next time. Yeah, and think of uh, the tremendous amount of loss of human life and injuries and everything else that people have experienced as a result of this. It it, it is truly a remarkable time to see what's happened and and see how the medical profession has been forcing doctors to get out of the actual practice of medicine and just follow their so-called guidelines. And, and, and they're really not even protocols. They're simply guidelines. And if any doctor stands up to it, then the doctors are, are threatened with uh, loss of uh, medical license, which is just a recipe for, for danger as we move ahead. Um, really, medicine is no longer really about doctor-patient relations. It's it's all about sort of um, uh, bio biological management of the population, the whole population, which is uh, uh, very much the sort of eugenic uh, mm. dream that uh, that uh, became very fashionable in elite circles from the 1880s all the way through World War II, and it's just been revived and with a with a technological a new technological spin. That's all it is. Um, mm. So. We've been vexed by this problem for a very long time in modern life. It's just that not many people know about it. And we went through a number of years following the end of World War II up until very recently where it didn't seem to be a problem. But they've mm. come roaring back again. The eugenicists have come roaring mm. back again in positions of great power and influence. Uh, it's, it's, it's the major problem. Um, Jeremy Farrar, who is the great advocate of lockdowns from the U.K., 
is now uh, been appointed the chief scientific advisor to the World Health Organization, and he is oh, a, a dedicated eugenicist himself. So, mm. uh, and the World Health Organization is our new overlords. One of the brownstone projects I'm exploring is the idea of creating a shadow a World Health Organization to kind of keep these people in check. Um, mm. I don't know how I don't know how else to fight them except by exposing them, but but. but People need to get wise to, to what's really going on. This is part of the problem. Is this, this whole this tyranny has swept over us so quickly that mm -hmm. it's been hard for people to adjust and adapt. I mean, I have very good friends of mine, very good friends of mine who are very intelligent, who when I start talking about this stuff, they just go crazy. They're just like, you know, <laughs> what, what happened to you? What happened to you? You know, how come you're Mr. Conspiracy now? How come you believe all this nonsense? Uh, well, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm not inclined towards conspiracy theory. I don't just like to believe in nonsense, but I do like to look at the reality of the ground and, and adjust my, my thinking in light of the evidence. And that's, mm -hmm. what, I, that's what we all have to do. Yeah, and, and I think on that issue of truth, for example, it, it's extremely important for our free and democratic societies to allow free speech to be able to discuss these issues. But we see big tech lining up with pharma uh, where uh, they're limiting how people are able to uh, research matters that people are concerned with, but they're being directed uh, to the information that the big tech want people to pay attention to rather than looking at the broader picture. Uh, and we've experienced this sort of censorship since the lockdowns began in 2020. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. couldn't find each other. And one of the reasons was that that all of our accounts were throttled. We were being silenced and yes. we didn't really even know it. And we've only discovered this, you know, ever since Elon Musk took over, took took back Twitter, we're able to find each other again. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's one of the, that. in fact, I'm going to say that's one. That is the only mainstream yes. uh, big tech uh, communications platform that allows a modicum of communication between people. And it's a fluke that that happened at all. In fact, I wonder how long it's going to continue to be allowed. Yeah. I wonder the same thing. Yeah. So we need to use it uh, while we can and connect with each other while we can, because uh, there's going to come a time in a very well could come a time in the very near future where it'll all be shut down again because they can't allow this kind of uh, freedom to, 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 to talk and, and find out what other people think and hear other expert opinions um, uh, because because they don't have a case you know they really don't mm -hmm. they just it's a it's the ruling class is a class of professional liars at this point going along with this idea of lying i honestly cannot get over the current prime minister of canada who split this country, demonizing one group against another, vaccinated against the unvaccinated and so forth. And then under oath some weeks back, actually in November, saying that, well, no, I didn't say those horrible things against people. I, uh, you know, it's like the gaslighting going on is, is extraordinary. How do we, as uh, the peasants of the realm, stand up to this? Uh, we have the same problem with uh, Governor Newsom in California, who's going on about how he's protected California's freedoms, or Anthony Fauci, you know, in a in a deposition, just conveniently forgot everything that ever happened. I mean, they're really trying to invent reality, you know. Uh, well, I I don't know what else to do except except constantly uh, push back in their faces, you know, what they said and what they did, you know. Yeah. And and fortunately, we have.
tremendous archives of everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love these uh, these Twitter videos where you contrast, you know, what they're saying now compared to what they said then. It's like, you know, their lies are just so uh, unbearably obvious. But the the problem is what they did and what they said was so unconscionable yeah. that even the, even they don't want to, you know, they they've, they've they're literally blocking out of their minds. This is why, you know, and and for and over seven hours of deposition or something like that. Um, Fauci said, I did, I don't recall, you know, more than 200 times. Uh, mm. Well, he just, this is how he's dealing with it. It's, it's like a, a constructed amnesia, you know, uh, deliberately adopted for himself. And so, but it's, it's, I, I wrote an article called The Age of Amnesia. This is what they want us to do. They want us to completely forget, you know, it yeah. really is like Orwell in, in so yes, many ways. It- Oh, it's it. You know, I I think of Winston and the character in 1984, where, you know, they're requiring to go back and rewrite the newspaper story because the politics now has changed. Yeah. And and, you know, today with modern technology, of course, this can be done. But I mean, we do have. Uh, you know, literally the archive.org, which allows us to see things. Uh, but, but. What is the state of the future? <laughs> help me, help me to figure out where we're going and how we can stand up against all of this. Well, a big, a big problem we're facing right now is that, to my knowledge, we've never experienced what it's like in a well-developed, industrialized, uh, quasi-democratic form of government mm. for there to be such a huge uh, gap. Uh, gulf that separates uh, ruling class wishes and popular opinion. We've mm-hmm. never seen anything like this. The, the normal way in which democratic uh, industrialized countries fix themselves is by an integration in some sense between public opinion and the behavior of the elected um, leadership right mm-hmm. that 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 sort of it's 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 wildly imperfect system but at least there's some there, there used to be some communication between the two but when you have a system where the elected politicians are mere marionettes and stand-ins for a, 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 another layer of, of of leadership in society which is this kind of fascistic uh, cabal uh, you know of a combined of of government big tech big media and and big farm uh and and they're basically at war with the rest of the population we, we don't have any historical precedent for anything like this like we know how juntas in south america get overthrown we know how socialist dictatorships can can collapse under the weight of their own poverty we don't know what happens in a well-developed industrialized democracy where the the distance between ruling class ambitions for us and the popular will is so great. So we don't know how much longer it's going to take or what the tipping point will be. But I do think it's right to say that this is an unsustainable situation mm-hmm. and, and something's going to happen. It could take years. Uh, it could take uh, two years, five years, 10 years, but something's going to have to uh, change. Uh, the, you can't live in a society where all the commanding heights have been completely discredited and not have history adapt to the new yeah. reality, yeah. at least eventually. 
Yeah. Now, one of the areas of concern I have thought about many times is the idea that in the universities themselves, we got a very uh, dramatic change, it would seem to me, uh, whereas historically... I've always thought of universities as the great debating center, the great town square, the, the great opportunity for young people to be able to um, understand the, the benefits of the civilization itself, how we got here, why the various arguments that continue throughout, uh, you know, issues of truth, justice, uh, all of the various virtues and so on that we've uh, in our civilization have addressed still always unresolved because you have got new contacts. But today we get this uh, sense, or at least it seems to me that many of the, we, we refer, of course, to this concept of woke ideology, but this woke ideology has permeated throughout the industrial world and the political world and the media and all the rest of it. And they then are, are kind of manufacturing how society ought to be. But I yet, there is almost like there's there's absolute chaos because there doesn't seem to be any kind of overall realm as to what utopia is going to be other than everyone is like a free agent which goes every which way. The future looks looks like chaos to me somehow. Uh, right. Um, and it certainly will be if we don't do anything to stand up to this stuff, you know, uh, which is why I uh, write and, and speak as much as I possibly can and trying to build a build a sort of bulwark against it. I mean, it's all we can really do. And mm. again, we don't know what, what the turning point is going to be, but we also do know from the history of science and the history of politics that when there's a system in place that's a, a kind of an orthodoxy in which there's so many anomalies that have appeared that when which the orthodoxy doesn't explain the reality around you, history eventually adapts. The question is, you know, like how long it's going to take. I mean, I, um, mm. I, um, it, you know, it took 70 years for Soviet communism to finally unravel, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is far too long. Uh, it was, the population in general had lost all trust and faith in the communist party by 1921. So, and, and yet it, it, it lived for so many years later, you know, part of the problem is if you, if you disable all the mechanisms for protest and for change, then it, it just takes a very long time. And, you know, we see this in China today, right? I mean, the, mm -hmm. the ruling party has all control. Uh, so people can scream and yell all they want, but they can just put it down. Um, so they're trying to close off all uh, uh, channels of uh, protest uh, for, for that would lead to, lead to change. And we're not there yet. So I, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I agree with Naomi Wolf in the sense that we have a, a small window right now to, to stop it. But now that we know what they're up to, uh, we need to get really dedicated uh, to it. And... Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that means, you know, for everybody in their own lives, but mm. um, there's there's something something everyone can do in in some way, whether it's local politics or or writing or uh, just talking to your friends and neighbors or refusing to go along with the edicts. Uh, some people go much more extreme and you know leave the mm -hmm. country or or yes. live 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 off the grid and these kinds of things. And I, I understand those too. I'm. Uh, many Americans are now leaving uh, 
for other countries, I mean, in particular Mexico has become a, a big draw for mm -hmm. Americans that just want to uh, get away from uh, the hegemon, which I understand, you know, it, it yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah, in fact, uh, in Canada, I have uh, an un, I mean, there's a lot of families that I know personally that have made the trek outside of the country. Some, some have actually gone down to, uh, you know, places like Florida, Tennessee, and so forth. Uh, mm -hmm. Then there's others that have gone to Belize, gone to Costa Rica, gone, you know, just just this this whole idea of leaving Canada now, as yeah. you uh, you know, leaving the United States, it's like that's unheard of. People are coming into these countries because they want freedom, and now Canadians are leaving. Like it's it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's a horrendous. I, I was I was just in Mexico City, and and there's a, a very funny uh, section of the town. There's huge huge areas of Mexico that are that are uh, being really, where there's a great deal of American immigration there, but there's this one hilarious neighborhood over by and downtown Mexico City called Zona Rosa, um, which has, um, I would say like five or six large city blocks that are almost entirely Americans. Oh, wow. And, and uh, where people are, where it looks like, it looks like uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, at New York <laughs> in the old days, right? Everybody's dressed yeah. up in fancy ways. They're walking their designer dogs and eating their, you know, at farm to table restaurants and being cool and fashionable and, you know, just, just, just living it up. I mean, they're mostly, you know, uh, laptop workers in the U.S. And, and, right. and Mexico is very uh, open to this. You know, they don't, they don't care. As mm -hmm. long as you're not taking Mexican jobs, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you have a hard, you have a hard time getting a, a work permit there, but you have no problem getting um, a residency permit. So mm. Mexico is totally open to anybody who's got a, a, a remote job uh, staying there basically as long as they want. So, mm -hmm. so and, and with the standard of living very high and food, high quality food, you know, which you can't get in this country anymore, unless you go to farmer's markets. Um, and with low prices, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a deal that many young people are just ready to embrace. And, and, and I've seen almost no talk about this. I mean, I've been writing about it, yeah. but the Americans are not aware that we're yeah. experiencing a whole sort of generational brain drain. I mean, it's actually a remarkable thing. Uh, Mexico, by the way, was one of the few places and I guess Costa Rica too, and Nicaragua also, um, that were, were completely open uh, during COVID. And what right. happened is American, many Americans, because they're lacking anywhere else to go, they went there and they're like, oh, I love my life here. And they learn Spanish. And next thing you know, they're, <laughs> they're living a happy life. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, the danger here is the brain drain. Also, the fact that we are losing people who are questioning what they're being told by the authorities. Like there's something about those individuals who say, hey, you know what? I cannot conscientiously continue living in this place because of what's going on. I refuse mm -hmm. to accept it. But then we lose those people. We're at a loss uh, because yeah. of that. It's a diaspora in many ways, like what happened to Vienna between 1934 and 1938, 37, 38. Um, 
where people just finally didn't realize it's become uh, untenable to continue to live there and even dangerous. So they just, mm. they just flee. And that, that seems to be what's happening. And it is a loss. I mean, it's interesting in the U.S. case because we've seen huge demographic moves um, out of New York, basically out of New York to Florida. I mean, that's been mm. the, the number one uh, trajectory of, of, of shift, shifting, people just leaving New York. Well, a lot of people moved into New York, but they're not the high-end people anymore. Right, so they're mm-hmm. they're everybody who's always wanted to live in New York, but they couldn't afford it. Uh, you know, now hanging out there, but the city itself is just completely transformed. I mean, the yes. city today is nothing like what it was um, even five years ago. Uh, yeah. Things were getting better and better yeah. and better. Now it's just a disaster. The whole place reeks of trash and pot, and crime is everywhere. It's it's a mess. Yeah, the, I, I've noticed a lot of random attacks, uh, you know, in subway and all that kind of stuff. I want to just um, kind of close on a couple of thoughts. One is, what do you think the significance of the Trucker Freedom Convoy 2022 in Ottawa was? And also, uh, I, I want like us to talk about just on closing what. What, sh- what do we need to be doing? And I know we, we mentioned some of these things already. I think of Solzhenitsyn, for example, so we can c- come back to that. So I, I just wanted to have your thoughts. Now, a year out, an American looking at Canada, looking at what happened with uh, the Trucker Freedom Convoy 2022. What, what's your thought? Uh, the Trucker Convoy was very important because that was a real turning point. It, would, it really did force... Uh, the elites in Canada to kind of to kind of look at their policies and realize that that things have really gotten out of hand. They can't they can't deal with mass rebellion basically, so mm-hmm. they dialed it back, and then that had a huge influence in the United States too. Uh, so most of the vaccine mandates are gone. They're still still there in a lot of professions, particularly um, uh, nursing and and things like that. But uh, most of the vaccine mandates are, 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 are gone. And then we still have a mandate for, for travelers. So we've still got the remnants of all this stuff. But, mm-hmm. but the truckers' protest had a huge effect. And it was a remarkable thing. I wrote about it just constantly because it was just so darn exciting to see people mm-hmm. finally you know, rising up and caring. I wanted all this stuff to happen back in March 2020. It took a very long time for, for things mm-hmm. to uh, finally get to the point where people are out on the streets. Um, but it does have a profound effect. I mean, I mean, there's still there's a you know, great deal of demonization of these guys, and the ruling class mm-hmm. never admits er- error. They never admit that they were wrong. But it did have a, a, an effect in dialing back. But I think we need to be cautious about, even though it's the, many of these victories are wonderful, um, you know, are they temporary? You know, this mm. is the problem. You know, yeah. is it is yeah. it they got your, their hands around your throat and they're letting you breathe for a few minutes? You know, uh, only only to tighten a little bit further. And I tend to think that that's true. One of the reasons all this stuff happened to us is that we entered into the lockdown eras, and with a certain trust uh, and naivety, uh, trust we trusted the uh, the systems that they would work. Well, they, they didn't work. And I, I, we don't need to go back to our sort of complacent lives. And I believe that everything's going to be okay. It's just not true. It's not going to be okay. It's going to get uh, worse as soon as, as, soon as, as soon as they believe that people have fallen back asleep again, you know. But I don't know. Sometimes we, you know, you know Barry, you talk about, like, what should people do in their own lives? I, I, I. You know, the very first priority you have 
uh, everybody has is protect your own health and your own well-being, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, the, all the substance abuse problems that people picked up during the during the pandemic lockdowns, we need to we need to fix that. You know, uh, uh, find your way back to health. Uh, good diet, good exercise. Uh, we need to live a long life. We don't need people kicking the bucket early. You know, the people who are, are knowledgeable need to protect their own health. Care for your families and your loved ones. Um, keep an eye out on those people uh, to make sure that they're they're uh, making it through. So that's that, and that 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 by itself is a gigantic challenge. But we need to be we need to be fit and healthy and strong for the battles of the future. And if we're not that, you know, it's just it just doesn't matter. Um, and it, it troubles me because the substance abuse problems in this country are just completely out of control. I just ran an article this morning on, on alcoholism. I, you know, the number of alcohol deaths, alcoholist, uh, alcohol-driven deaths in the UK and the US are up like twenty-seven percent over mm. what they were in two thousand nineteen. So you know, this is this is a, a major problem. I don't think you know, I'm not advocating teetotaling, but you know, but people need to start realizing that we've got a big battle ahead of us. I mean, don't despair. Uh, uh, fix yourself up, and then go forth with uh, with hope and determination. And just remember that um, the structure of history is not in the end, in the final end, ruled by uh, forces outside of your control. It's, it's, w- it's within our power. And the mm-hmm. second they they convince you that uh, you're irrelevant, that's the very moment that you are. You know, just don't believe it. There's there's many things we can do, and, and it's different in everybody's lives. But now is the time to fight. I mean, really, we're looking at um, everything we call civilization is at stake right now. What do you see on the horizon as immediate concern? Uh, well, we've got a big problem with vaccine injury right now, and and I'm assuming that's going to get worse. That. Uh, we don't know uh, what the long-term effects these vaccines are going to be. So which is another reason for for the emphasis on health, vitamins and sunshine and exercise and that sort of thing. It's the only way to deal with these kinds of with this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're gonna there's gonna be uh, another pandemic real or imagined. Uh, there's gonna be another crisis. Uh, they, they're continuing to wreck our economies with this war on fossil fuels is extremely dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the war on the food supply is very dangerous. So we're we're, we're going to face many, many more uh, struggles, and in the very near term and the long term, they're not nearly done with this yet. So uh, I was mentioning Twitter earlier, and you know your your podcast and other venues. It's like we have to get the truth out. We have to speak the truth, and we need to do so with a, a great urgency, like right now before everything just shuts down again, which it's going to. Wow. Well, I I tell you, I want to thank you so much, uh, Jeffrey, for the great work that you do over at Brownstone. And I'm just wondering if you could let all of our viewers know how they can uh, get in contact with you, get in contact with your material. Sure, it's brownstone.org, and and I have a, a, a thing there called subscribe. I only send one email a week, so it's not it's not I'm not going to bombard you. I'll never sell your email address, but it's just a chance for us to uh, contact you and follow us on all the social media channels and get it, get involved. You know, get involved and let's let's form a community, a global community, and and resist this nonsense. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much, uh, Jeffrey, for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Barry. 
You know, folks, I just want to thank you for being with us on this program right now. I'm sure you have been challenged and invigorated with the message that Jeffrey uh, shared with us. I want to remind you that here on this program, uh, we're open for honest, transparent dialogue. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca